Good morning, Debron family. This morning we'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Um, if you're here uh, um, with us this morning and you need a Bible, you can find one in the back. Um, if you're joining us online, you can just feel free to get a hold of one of us and we'll find a way to get it to you. Please join me in reading from John chapter 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly I say to you, we speak of what we know and hear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of God, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil." For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. This is the word of the Lord. Most famous verse in the New Testament, John 3.16, came out of this discussion between Jesus and Nicodemus, the Pharisee, the religious leader, the elite religious leader. We're working our way through the Gospel of John this year, and you may have heard me say before how along the way, as we follow John through his unique perspective, his intimate perspective as the disciple whom Jesus loved, a close friend of Jesus, we see how uh, John shows us Jesus connected not only with the crowds, but with individuals. We noticed last week how Jesus connected with a young newlywed couple on their wedding day when he performed the miracle of 
of turning water into wine in that small hill town. And now we're going to see how Jesus connects with, to put it one way, an impressive clergyman, the Pharisee named Nicodemus. And I had said in the past that Jesus not only enters into the human story, he enters into your story. That's one of the things we're looking at with the Gospel of John, how Jesus enters into your story, into my story. And I want you to consider that today from the perspective of Nicodemus, Jesus entering into this leader's story, this most impressive religious leader, but not impressive enough. A good life lesson is learning that leaders will fail you, right? That leaders will not live up to their expectations. Kids, young people, uh, you may have not learned that yet, or maybe you do. Maybe you start realizing that from time to time, a parent lets you down, or a coach lets you down, or a teacher lets you down, right? Somebody in your life that you look up to, that you depend upon, that you think should be there for you in some way, lets you down. Whether that's right or wrong, you know, whether you were right or wrong or they were right or wrong, somehow that leader let you down. Maybe you're beginning to see that. If you're an adult, you already know it's true. Friends let you down. The government lets you down. Your employer lets you down. Your employees let you down. The church lets you down, right? Religion lets us down. But John shows us, especially in John chapter 3 with Nicodemus, John shows us that Jesus, Jesus is the source of our wisdom and that Jesus is the source of our salvation. That's what I hope uh, you'll consider today. And as we talk about this word salvation, I want to talk to you about it from the perspective of our need for it. We all need to be saved. But I want to talk to you about salvation as Jesus described it to Nicodemus and how Jesus ultimately provided it. For Nicodemus, for me, I hope for you. So those three aspects of salvation, the salvation that we need, the salvation, that salvation as Jesus described it, and ultimately that salvation as Jesus provided it himself. The salvation that we need, you and I, is beautifully illustrated in John chapter 3 in Nicodemus himself. I want to highlight two things about Nicodemus, his interest and his incompetence. He was interested in Jesus. He was incompetent to understand who Jesus was and explain that to other people. So Nicodemus is interested. He's intrigued by Jesus. If you go back to John chapter 2 at the end, you might remember that uh, Jesus was in Jerusalem around the temple at the Passover feast, and crowds were flocking to them because they were impressed by his miracles. But the gospel tells us Jesus didn't entrust himself to them. He knew they were flaky. He knew they were fair-weather followers. Now, at the beginning of John chapter 3, we think, uh, scholars believe Nicodemus was one of them, impressed, intrigued by Jesus because of his miracles around the temple at the time of the Passover. And so uh, Nicodemus approaches Jesus quite respectfully. What does he call him? Rabbi. Here is a trained theologian, a religious leader among the Sanhedrin, the, the, the ruling religious class at that time, coming to Jesus, who wasn't affiliated, and calling him rabbi. 
So he respects Jesus. He even calls him a teacher from God in John chapter three, verse two. So Nicodemus is very curious and intrigued about Jesus, and he essentially wants Jesus to elaborate, right, about his identity. He's really saying to Jesus, hey, who are you? I I can tell you're from God. The miracles make that obvious, but who are you? And in his typical mystifying fashion, Jesus responds by changing the subject. Jesus says to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus now reveals not only his interest in Jesus, but his incompetence as Israel's teacher. He basically says, what? How, uh, what are you talking about? Jesus clarifies. Jesus restates what he means and says, unless you are born of water and the spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And Nicodemus uh, responds again, essentially by saying, what? How is that even possible? And then Jesus responds to Nicodemus in verse 10 by saying, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Nicodemus and his associates, the ruling religious class in the temple community in Jerusalem, they had forgotten what the Old Testament had said, more likely not forgotten, misunderstood the prophets like Isaiah like Jeremiah, and especially like the prophet Ezekiel during the, during the Babylonian captivity. In Ezekiel chapter 36, the prophet said this, that the Lord had said to the, to the Jews while they were in exile, he said, one day I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. And from all your idols I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And God said, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. It's for passages like Ezekiel chapter 36 that Jesus is saying, you should not be surprised, Nicodemus, a teacher like yourself, about what I'm saying. Jesus is saying by you must be born again, you must be born of water and the spirit that only God can make a person fit to be in God's presence. That only God literally can remake a person, reborn, rebirth, right? Not just a renovation, but a complete overhaul, starting all over again, simply striving to obey God's law, which is what the Pharisees were so good at and so admired for, simply striving and delighting to strive in obeying God's law was not enough. Nicodemus had failed to see that for himself, and therefore he failed to teach it to the people of Israel. And that is what Jesus is revealing. You want to know who I am? Let's go back to basics. You need to understand what it takes to enter the kingdom of heaven you teacher of Israel. So John portrays here in chapter three a dialogue between two teachers and one of them is incompetent. Now you may be thinking I'm hard on Nicodemus and I don't mean any disrespect. I think Nicodemus is a better man than most when you think of the Pharisees and how they interacted with Jesus as recorded throughout the four gospels. 
But the salvation that Jesus is describing here is on a totally different plane than salvation as Nicodemus and his associate teachers understood. They missed the point. And Jesus is talking on a totally different plane about what salvation is. Jesus is not talking about salvation in the sense of self-improvement, like observing the Torah, observing the old law, uh, educating oneself. Jesus is talking about total rebirth. As the New Testament scholar puts it, Jesus is talking about transformation. People don't just need a spiritual facelift. They need a complete transformation, an intervention by the Spirit of God. You know, the reformer Martin Luther called it an alien righteousness, something that you need from outside of you that you can't whip up for yourself. And the reformer John Calvin put it this way, by the phrase born again is expressed not the correction of one part, but the renovation of the whole nature. More recently, Michael Horton, in a really good book called Putting Amazing Back into Grace, put it this way. He wrote, our fall was complete. Every area of human life was affected. The stain of sin corrupts us physically, emotionally, psychologically, mentally, morally, and spiritually. That doesn't mean, of course, that we are all brute savages who always carry out every possible evil. We're not junk. We're not scum. We're created in the image of God, and we are precious to him. But Horton goes on to say, it does mean that no part of us can rescue or heal the rest of us. So Nicodemus's lifestyle of pursuing, from an Old Testament Jewish perspective, ceremonial purity was fervent but it was ultimately ineffective. Like putting new shingles, right, on a roof where the dry, where, where the, the uh, where, where the, what's the, I can't, the plywood, there it is. It's like putting new shingles on a roof where the plywood is rotten, right? How, how effective is that? It looks good. The new roof looks really good, right? But, but the subroof is falling apart, Darkness has reached into every part of us, corporately and individually. The darkness that the Bible calls sin, our broken nature in the presence of our Creator. It's impacted all of us in every way and at every level. It's impacted society and government. It's impacted knowledge, our intellect. It's, it's impacted our communities, our families, our cities, our marriages, It's impacted us each individually. But Christianity invites us to, uh, if I can use the expression, come into the light. Ultimately, the Christian message is to come out of that darkness of full corruption in which every aspect of our, our, our being and every aspect of human life is tainted, to come out of that darkness into the light of God's wisdom and into the light of God's salvation, not our version of it, Jesus' version of it. So my encouragement to you today, if you are here or if you are listening or watching and you are unsure of Jesus, 
you are unsure of the benefit of religion because leaders have let you down, I want to encourage you like Nicodemus to pursue Jesus, pursue him primarily until you understand him and can embrace him. Do you notice that in verse two, John makes a point of saying that Nicodemus approached Jesus by night? You see that? He comes to him by night, not openly, not publicly. Like you, Nicodemus understood that there was a social risk to aligning yourself with Jesus. He was not ready for the repercussions of being openly associated with this teacher from Nazareth. So he comes to Jesus by night. But what does Jesus start doing uh, as, as you keep reading in chapter three? Jesus starts contrasting dark versus light, right? And he's bidding Nicodemus to come into the light. He even says, and, and because I don't have time, we don't have time to read it all right now, but as you get into verses 19 and 20 and 21, he says to Nicodemus, the light's come into the world. But people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. But he goes on to say, whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. See, not carried out in his own religious observance, but carried out in God. Darkness can even be cloaked by what looks like good religious observance. And this man who comes to Jesus at night, Jesus responds by saying, hey, come into the light. And Nicodemus doesn't come into the light by the end of this conversation. Were you listening? Did you, it, it kind of just, Nicodemus has something to think about, right? What was a dialogue between two teachers becomes a monologue where the teacher from God is speaking and the teacher from Israel has nothing left to say. He doesn't even know what to ask Jesus anymore. Nicodemus shuts up and he just listens. And now he has to ponder what Jesus has said. So pursue. If you're unsure, if you're in doubt, if you're a skeptic, if you're questioning the Bible, if you're questioning what value does organized religion have when people let each other down so much, like Nicodemus, pursue, inquire, ask, because Jesus will answer you. Through his word, he will answer you. And through the conversation and encouragement of his body, his community of faith, Jesus will answer you. Now, the rest of us need to understand that like Nicodemus, other people need time to process before they embrace Jesus. As so many times, as you see with the disciples, not just Nicodemus, but with the very men who would become Christ's apostles, their faith, their understanding, their embracing Jesus was a process that took time for them. And people need time as they come to Jesus. And we need to understand that. If you're a millennial, and some of you are, according to a Barna research study done near the beginning of the pandemic, late spring, early, early mid-spring mid 2020, one in three American Christian, Christians stopped attending church. What I mean is everybody was going to church online, but one third of everybody stopped going to their churches altogether. 
I don't mean church surfing online. I don't mean coming and going and going to different churches. I mean one in every three American Christians about two months into the the pandemic stopped attending their own churches, whether in person or online. But out of that one in every three Americans, millennials were twice as likely to stop attending their churches as baby boomers were. Us Gen Xers were, like everything else, somewhere in the middle. Now, what I'm trying to say is if you are, those are stats from April and May 2020. Um, The reason I'm bringing that up is to say the spiritual landscape of our society has dramatically shifted and will continue to. So if you are, let me put this nicely, if you are older, I'm encouraging you to pray. I want you to think of, I want you to think of Americans, millennials, Gen Zs as millions of Nicodemuses who need time and patience to ponder these things as they come to Jesus. And I think what you need to do is you need to pray. Do you realize that higher education and preserving our way of life and good politics, as wonderful and important as these things are, are not gonna change that spiritual landscape? They're not gonna bring people like Nicodemus to Jesus. You have to pray that God will work when you are gone. Young people, you need to pray too, but you need to be patient. You need to be patient to allow God to work in people in his time as coming to faith in Jesus for them, like Nicodemus, will be a process You need to be good neighbors. You need to be good employees and good business owners. You need to be good husbands and good wives and good sons and daughters. And patiently wait for an opportunity, as the Apostle Peter said, to share the reason for the hope you have when the time is right. In a spiritual landscape that has changed so dramatically, Because true salvation is on a plane where only God can change people. I hope we're seeing that from Jesus' testimony to Nicodemus. The salvation we think people need, the salvation you think you need, we think we need, keeps us in the darkness, actually, if we're looking at what Jesus is saying. Our version of what people need keeps them in the darkness, keeps ourselves in the darkness, as with Nicodemus. Like Nicodemus, people are quick to inquire, right? But slow to understand. People are interested in Jesus, but hesitant to embrace him. Looking for quick fixes to our problems. Looking for worthy causes to better our society and make us feel good about ourselves. Looking for self-improvement measures to better ourselves intellectually, educationally, emotionally, psychologically, financially, socially. But, you know, it's all of these self-improvement methods of saving ourselves. It's like slapping new shingles on a rotting roof. So until you see, until we see that our best knowledge and our best teachers, that our best efforts and our greatest heroes are not enough, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven, Jesus is saying. 
That's exactly what he was saying to Nicodemus. Until you see, Nicodemus, that your system and your knowledge and your approaches are not enough, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. God must come in and make a complete change and start from the foundation up. That's what born again means. God gives new life to broken sinners like me. We shouldn't see in Nicodemus a nearsighted, slow-to-understand theologian. He was the best of the best. When we look at Nicodemus, we should see ourselves. Quick to inquire, slow to respond. We are not wise enough to believe what we need to believe to be saved. And we are not fit enough to accomplish what needs to be done but someone is. Amen? As John said in chapter one of this beautiful gospel, the light, the true light was coming into the world. And Jesus is the light speaking to Nicodemus, bidding him to come out of the darkness. And salvation, the salvation that Jesus is describing to Nicodemus, he would provide it fully for him. The salvation that Jesus provided proves to us that God is patient And he is kind in that patience, though we are slow like Nicodemus to understand. That's the beauty of this is we don't have to beat ourselves up. You don't have to beat yourself up. Jesus, in this life, will be patient and kind as you approach him and learn to embrace him. Although Jesus would be harsh with the Pharisees, right? As you read the Gospels, he he was very direct He pulled no punches with the Pharisees, but not so much with Nicodemus. You see that? Despite all the curses that he pronounced on the sect of the Pharisees, the woe to you, woe to you, woe to you to the Pharisees time and time again, to this Pharisee, Jesus reveals the heart of his mission. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Think about it. He revealed that to a Pharisee who was willing to approach him. Yeah, by night, but he still came. And he would get there. Not yet. Jesus says in this moment, for love my Father has sent me to be lifted up like that serpent in the wilderness with Moses and the Israelites. The serpent was lifted up and everybody who looked on that serpent was saved from the plague. And Jesus is saying, here's the sign. You're impressed by the miracles. Here's another sign. I'm going to be lifted up like that certain serpent and everybody who looks upon me and embraces me will be saved. On that cross, that sign, on that cross, the light of the world absorbed our darkness and received our condemnation, the judgment that we deserved. Now, Nicodemus, praise God, Nicodemus eventually, not that first night, but eventually would believe in time by a process. Uh, There's no formula, but there was a process for Nicodemus. 
If you go to John chapter 7, look at it later today or this week, towards the end of John chapter 7, the Pharisees and all the religious leaders in the Sanhedrin are freaking out about Jesus, and Nicodemus speaks up and almost, almost defends Jesus. (laughs) And they lay into him for it. But after Jesus died, and Joseph of Arimathea asked Pontius Pilate for the body of Jesus, the Gospel of John chapter 19 tells us that Nicodemus was there and that Nicodemus helped embalm Jesus' body. I believe that those signs, the cross, and ultimately the empty tomb were what Nicodemus needed to see and comprehend so that everything that Jesus had said to him on that first night in the dark would finally make sense, yeah? What do you need? Jesus will be patient with you. Stick with him. What do people need? Pray, pray, and be patient as a community of faith. Jesus, Jesus, not even our theology, Jesus is the source of our wisdom and our salvation. God sent us a teacher and a savior. You see that? A teacher and a savior to teach us the way to salvation and then to accomplish it for us. So come into the light, wherever you are right now. Come into the light of Jesus's wisdom, of Jesus's salvation, and in patience and in kindness, he's waiting for you. Let's pray. Oh, Father, forgive us for our pride. Forgive us for assuming that we know what it takes, that we have what people need, that we have what we need as individuals to approach you. We don't. We confess it. We're like naked, like our righteousness, Father, is filthy compared to yours. But thank you for your son. Thank you for loving us and sending him to us that he would die in our place, that he would rise from the dead and prove to all of us who are willing to listen, who are willing to look upon him, that he's the real deal. Lord, I pray that the wisdom of God and the salvation of God would come to anyone in this room and anyone listening who desires to approach your son, Jesus Christ. In his name, amen.